Welcome to a World on Fire and All-Star Squadron podcast. I'm your host, Billy D, and alongside me is my co-host for this episode, Martin Gray. How are you, Martin? I'm fine, Billy. All is well here over in the UK. It's cold but pleasant. Yeah, we were talking a little weather before we started recording here, and we're both going to find somewhere in the world where it's constantly 65, 70 degrees, sunny and nice. And we're going to (laughs) move. I think that sounds like, yeah, soft traveling heroes. (laughs) yes sir so you know it's been a couple of weeks you know since you and i uh talked so uh i know uh sean and i did the previous uh starman uh, episode there where that was one of his favorite characters we talked starman and then uh, now we're on to basically a little one shot here uh this one with two new uh characters and uh this is a pretty good issue here but uh we decided to add a little wrinkle to the show, you know, instead of, you know, doing these longer episodes where there's, you know, more than two issues to do, you know, we're going to kind of break it up a little bit. And anytime there's just a, a single issue, you know, story like this, maybe uh, throw in another uh, comic, uh, you know, that has something to do with, uh, you know, Earth 2. And uh, we decided to uh, bring along for the ride Secret Origins, the Golden Age Superman. So uh, everybody can be ready for that one, too. And I know you're a big Superman fan, so uh, I know you're looking forward to that. Oh, huge Superman fan. He's he's my favorite. Well, one of many. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was, when I was a little kid, he was my favorite too. The first time I saw the Christopher Reeve Superman film, I was just uh, enthralled with that character. Oh, that really, really was something special. You look at the huge affection that everyone of our generation seems to have for it. It's no wonder. It was such a perfect movie. Yeah, I mean, Superman's really, you know, the first big, huge uh, comic book character. So, you know, rightly so, he gets uh, some love and some attention on the show here. But uh, up first, we have All-Star Squadron, issue number 44 from 1985, Night and Fog. Uh, so this is a pretty good one here. And we have our buddy Roy Thomas. He's plotter and editor. And then Paul Kupperberg is doing the script. And Arvel Jones and Pablo Marcos on art. Gene D'Angelo on colors. And David Cody Weiss on letters. And then the cover is by Arvel Jones and Tony DiZuniga. So uh, what do you think of the cover on this one, Mark? I think, I mean, I mean, actually, I should probably describe the cover in that case. We're going to be talking about it there. But, the, the, yeah, the cover the cover does show, he says, moving something off the screen. It shows, it shows get our, our four heroes for this issue, Tarantula, Firebrand, Our Man and Phantom Lady, all looking startled and ready for action as the new two new villains, Night and Fog, loom over them. Night standing there in his, well, over them in his black, black and costume and she's in looking more ethereal pretty much lost in the dark in, mm-hmm. in the, the dark of the group but as, you know it's what i think of it i i i, I couldn't see a signature on this issue, on this one do you know who it's by oh uh, the cover yeah it's uh arvel jones and tony de zuniga did the cover on this one all ah, right yeah because i actually think it's one, one of the weakest of the series it seems pretty sketchy and night, he's actually pretty much lost amidst that sea of blue. It's not, it's not one of my favorite. I mean, I like Arvel Jones. I've got a lot of praise for the interiors, but I wonder whether this cover was rushed. Yeah, I do. I mean, the characters in the forefront, you know, the heroes, they look okay to me. They're they're not bad, but the fog, I don't know. There's just something about it that doesn't really resonate with me. It doesn't look scary or anything like that at all. And then the 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 villain Knight there, mm, not sure about him either. He looks like something from a you know, an 80s rock video or something, <laughs> rock and roll video. I mean, at first glance, they remind me of the, the type of villains that would were in, in Firestorm, Fury of Firestorm, after 
after Pat Roderick left and Raphael Kainan came on board when Roy he'd done it, he'd had not Roy, Jerry Conway had his first first inventing some superb rogues gallery for Firestorm and then you get the likes of, you know, the Weasel and Slipknot and things like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like you said, not one of the strongest uh, covers, but you know, what lies inside was uh, pretty good, so you know, we can uh, dive into that if you want, and I'll, uh, you know, go through the book here real quick with a little synopsis, and then we can talk about it uh, more in depth. What do you say? Let's go for it, sir. All right, so on an evening in Manhattan, Johnny Quick and Liberty Bell hurry through the streets and make for Grand Central Station. Over in Brooklyn, Guardian, Starman, Hawk Girl, Hawkman, and Robot Man are taking in a boxing match in their alternate personas, of course. Meanwhile, at a Park Avenue address, our man knocks on a door. It's answered by Sandra Knight, but she's wearing the costume of Firebrand. Danette is in the Phantom Lady costume, and the boys, Tarantula and our man, end up switching costumes, and the four then head to Danette's father's house for a costume party. The heroes mingle, and then we meet Danette's father. At first, he seems like a nice guy, but then we find out he was initially using his steel manufacturing company to stall production so Russia and England could take a beating from Germany. Then we see two more figures enter the party from the balcony, and we see Rex gets a bad feeling about the pair, and he's right on. Night and Fog then attack Ed Riley. They toss him out a 10-story window, and Firebrand chases after him. She's too late, though, as he lands on one of the parapets below and dies in his daughter's arms. This enrages Danette, and she takes out her anger on night and fog. So, all right, buddy, what did you think about this one? I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was, I always like superheroes socializing. Mm-hmm. I thought the, the gimmick, the gimmick of swapping the costumes, that that made perf, that perfect sense, you know. And it was, I thought, it was, <laughs> Tarantula was just brilliant when he was teasing Iron Man about them having to wear each other's outfits, and because I <laughs> bet John Law's leathers honk a bit. <laughs> yeah, that was a funny part. Yeah, but overall, I, I thought it was, you know, ex- excellent issue. I mean, you know, you got probably got comments for the various scenes, but as as a whole, definitely well worth reading. Yeah, very true, very true. It was, it's a good one-off story. I really love it, and like you said, the humor in the beginning there uh, between Tarantula and Our Man is great. But when the four of them walk into the party, wow, that splash page! I think that's really impressive. How about it? Oh, it's just ex- excellent work. It's just just out- outstanding. You know, it's as good as anything that you got in All Star Squadron. They're really, really excellent. And again, the, the twist of seeing them in each other's costume. Well, okay, our man always looks like our man, whoever's in the costume. But the other guys, really, really fine stuff. And and the, it was surprising when it started before that at, at the boxing match because I wasn't expecting to see the Newsboy Legion in there. The guard. Yeah. Yeah, that was interesting. I was like, wow, I, you know, I mean, I, it's not, I guess I shouldn't be surprised with the Guardian there because he popped in in the last story there with Starman, you know, kind of saved the day. Yeah, it was, mm-hmm. and it was fun. I mean, the, I mean, the panel on page two, though, I, I know we love our serpents on our, on the podcast. We love to talk a good serpent, like in the who's who. But that mm-hmm. page two of the various heroes, when they're watching the boxing in their sibbies, and you've got the serpents of the other identities behind them. And as well, you've got full colour headshots of the audience members. That's a little a little messy to me. But I, I think the period hair looks pretty good. And I like that a page later we see Shira with her hands in her muff, which shows good attention to 40s detail. 
Yeah, that is pretty cool there. I didn't notice that at first, but then when I, you know, came through a second time to go over it and looking for things I saw it and I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. But yeah, on page uh, two there, that bottom panel, you're right. I, I like what they're going for there and what they tried to do with the artwork with, you know, the, the heroes there and their civilian uh, guises and then the, the hero monikers behind them or a side of them. But it just, I don't know if they ran out of room for the panel, if it would have been better, if it would have been like a half whole half page instead of just that bottom panel. I think it either just dropped, dropped the boxing match audience at that point. Just yeah. Had the yeah, yeah. They, it just definitely looks like it was a great idea, but maybe the execution wasn't so great. But yeah, that that initial uh, page six there where it shows them walking into that party. I was trying to identify as many of the uh, costumes as I could, you know, and I see uh, Dracula and Frankenstein monster there and Groucho Marx and Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> It's fun, it's fun. And actually, actually just pardon me, going, going back to the Serpent panel for one second, mm-hmm. I see, I think that's our obligatory Hawk band appearance for the issue. Oh, yeah, 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 is for it? sure, because Roy wanted him in every one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, actually, I do have a question about, about the party. You, you've got the guy who I, we would both assume is Abraham Lincoln, even though he's got a moustache, which must be, <laughs> must be to Abraham Lincoln. But you know American history better than I. What is that a joke? How many lumps are? Why four score and seven? What else? Is that a joke? Yes, because in uh, the Gettysburg Address that Lincoln gave, uh, he said four score and seven years ago. That's how it started. So, yeah, that's what that's all about. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I, I might know that. I did what I did. Well, I went to that it was a Daniel Day-Lewis movie about Lincoln a few years ago. And I, I was oh, yeah. having such a hard time staying awake. It was so deadly dull. So <laughs> Have you seen that one? I have not. I have not seen that one. Mm-mm. Oh, there's, there's some sequence where they're voting for something or other, and I think it's about 67 people or something, and you, you hear every single vote. You show the show every one, one by one. It's like, oh, the verisimilitude, oh, the boredom. So it's good to see Lincoln making a joke. <laughs> yeah, it was funny, though. Like, some of the characters I did not recognize. I don't know if it's just... I mean, I think uh, there's just a, a random clown there. I don't know who that's supposed to be. It looks like the modern day Joker in the movies to me. I don't know who that's supposed to be though. And we see oh, the we... Tin Man from Wizard of Oz there, but I don't know who the other two people are there. Yeah, and I don't, and I don't know who the, the woman by the Tin Man is. The woman with the mask and the the fish, the fishnet tights and fishnet belly belly bit, whatever. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, wait. Oh yeah, look, the clown just looks like a terrifying, terrifying clown. Mm-hmm. I wish you hadn't made me look at that again. <laughs> yeah, I thought he was going to end up being part of one of the villains or something because he yeah. has a real nasty look on his face. It is, it is just horrific. Mm-hmm. And then I don't know if there's a second clown because the next page over there's another clown, but he has different color hair and makeup and <laughs> outfit. I don't know. Maybe Orville Jones was just having <laughs> well that a section of the readership would be would have this uh, fear of clowns. But in that in that same panel with the second clown where you've got the witch and hairy hairy grouch on the Statue of Liberty, just next to Sandra, there's a man with a mask on with, with like a face mask on top of his face. And like <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure. They should have had like a page in the back here where it had that splash page and it had like, you know, one of those deals where they have just the, the sketch outline of everybody's figure and then a number coinciding and on the bottom there's like a key to tell you who each one is. <laughs> yes, I, I love that sort of thing. I was, I was just when I, when I was chatting, looking look today at my uh, Legion of Superheroes pull-out poster in the Great Darkness saga, the way, in which Keith Giffen did everyone who ever was in the Legion comic, pretty much. And it's like the, the, the key to the poster is about five pages long. Wow, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I like that kind of stuff, though. But yeah, Danette's dad, man, he initially is like, oh, seems like a nice guy. But, you know, we get to see he's got some really, really bad prejudice in him. You know, and that's yeah, that's not good. He does, but I, mean, I think Arvel Jones does a good does a good job of selling the fact that he is nervous because for about the first five or six panels, he's got this terrible, you know, he's saying the cheery things, but he's got this terrible rictus grin on like as if he's just had a run in with the Joker. He just looks ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, the laughing fisher or something he ate. <laughs> yeah. But I ah oh dear dear dear, and I like I like the the Sinatra and Dorsey cameos. There's Tom Frank Sinatra and Tommy Dorsey, and I love I love I'm a sucker for after the fact easy irony. So you have you know Sandra and John, you know Tarantula and Fat and Lady talking about Frank Sinatra wanting to strike out on his own as a solo artist, and I think Tarantula being very doubtful that he'd ever make a go of it. Yeah, that's funny too. I do like when they insert these things. You know, Roy you know, throughout the series so far, it has done a good job with a lot of references and stuff like that. But you haven't seen too many, you know, people like that, you know, from that era, you know, any of the musical or film stars a couple times, but not as much as I would like. I wouldn't mind if that was every episode or every issue. I could, I could stand. I love that sort of thing. It just makes it extra, extra fun. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, Danette out here on the balcony, you know, she seems to be getting uh, pretty chummy with, uh, our buddy Rex, but then you know when he goes in for a kiss, she's like, "All right, calm down, buddy." <laughs> yeah, but and she doesn't. She doesn't want to directly reference Suggestion or the fact that she, you know that she had a thing for Suggestion. He's not. He's not mentioned. He's not in the thought bubble or anything. But you know, presumably, that's that's why she's being a bit a bit reticent about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we're gonna see him coming up soon. He's not too far away from making a you know coming back into the All Star Squadron. We'll be talking about him soon. But yeah, that is uh, interesting and. You know, Rex always, you know, thinks he's like, you know, the man of the hour, <laughs> but uh, she doesn't really, uh, you know, want to, uh, like I said, you know, give him a kiss and get too close there. And he kind of thinks it's something up with, you know, him. But it, like you said, it's not. It's probably because she's still has some feelings for uh, Shining Knight. Absolutely. But I mean, for goodness sake, she's standing there in the Phantom Lady costume. A man is going to want to kiss. Yeah, well, <laughs> she looks gorgeous the way she's drawn. That's for sure. Oh, they, they, yeah, they do. I mean, it's, it's funny because Phantom Lady, who's you know normally the sex bomb, she just looks drab as anything in the five round costume. She's just lost all. <laughs> and I'm not yeah. saying it depends on seeing her, you know, seeing seeing her decolletage. It's just that uh, it just the color just doesn't suit her at all for the pinks and the reds. No, uh-uh, but I love the page. Uh, I think it's uh, what page eleven, maybe, where they start dancing and. Uh, Sinatra says about you know let's uh, so grab your partners and jitterbug and <laughs> there's a oh, dad scene cool. there. Mm-hmm. That is just so that is just so good. I mean, I've never I love seen. It. Yeah, I mean the, the last time I think I saw superheroes dancing a comic was an action action comics in the 1970s in which Lois and Clark went to a 1940s revival night and Clark wore something called a zoot suit. <laughs> what, what people like you know yeah, kid kid core kid Creole would wear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. At the time, I didn't actually realize they were, they were both around in that year or so. But this, this is this is just excellent, you know. And there's there's also one of the party guests who's chatting to Danette's horrible, horrible father, in the, dressed up as a Valkyrie or you know a, a known goddess or something. Mrs. Van Donald, is she anyone? I, I googled her and I didn't get anywhere. No, so, yeah, I never heard of that either. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean. No, I have no clue at all on that one. Not at all. And another, another scary, another scary woman carrying that panel. 
Oh yeah, behind behind Annette's father. Yeah, that's really creepy, isn't it? Wow. <laughs> you need to get Harvell Jones on the show. Us. <laughs> and then Night and Fog, I do like their characters. They're pretty nasty villains, which is pretty good, but I'm not a huge fan of their visuals. Um, what do you think of their costumes? Again, they're very generic. They're not very era specific. It's like, I mean, Fog. I'm sorry, Night. That, that, I mean, that's such a skimpy outfit. I can't imagine Hitler being happy sending his woman out to women out to look like that. I mean, I, I like I like her face. I love the cigarette holder because that's so femme fatale, Marlene Dietrich sort of thing. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, the the guy Fog, he just looks like a dullard, really. I mean, why why is he why is he wearing the dark sunglasses? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think he's told his costume to match his hair. But uh, yeah, they're not, they're not the most Im- imposing couple. And I mean, but the fact that he, the costume on his chest, he's got a cloud, which reminds me of one of the lead members of Legion of Super, of Super, he- Super Substitute Heroes. I forget which one, Stone Boy or someone. Someone's got like something that looks a bit like a cloud on their chest. But uh, <laughs> so, what, what do you make of them? Yeah, I'm not a big fan of them. I mean, they're they're okay. They're not great. They're not terrible, but they're they're just okay. They're not very you know inspiring or cool or anything like that. I do like uh, you know some of the powers here. Like I do like Knight's powers. She almost reminds me of some Marvel hero that I can't think of right now that has powers similar to this. I can't think Isn't of who it, it is. Yeah, it was that was that Rus- that, Rus- that Russian lady who's a bit like Nightshade. Uh, what's she called? Oh, she's she's a mm. Soviet soldier. She was also good. She was also goody at times. She, she's got like night type powers, black powers, but it also reminds me a little of uh, Nightshade from from the DC universe. Oh sure. yeah, yeah. I can imagine, you know, this gal, Night, being you know also connected to the land of the Nightshade, which presumably spans dimensions anyway. She she might be able to do teleportation to Earth One at some point. Yeah, and then they go in there and they get uh, Danette's father in his little office room there, and they start torturing the crap out of him. And then they go into their uh, origins there. We see Hitler, you know, trying to, you know, draw up some papers, and they say about how, uh, you know, he uh, is the one that named them Night and Fog, and said that he's going to send them to conquer the Western nations and all this stuff. And they get some pretty nasty panels here, man. That other panel on the next page, what is that, fourteen? Where, you know, they're choking the one guy and then you got another guy chained up and stuff like wow let's have a weed oh gosh yes yes it looks like monsieur Marie, someone like that goodness me i mean I, <laughs> I think they're that nasty i think they have, they have potential yeah they like i said if they would have i mean if they would have brought them in earlier and like you know develop the characters a little bit more and then had them in this issue you know doing all this stuff it may have been a little more impactful yeah yeah and they, they have matching boots as well if you look <laughs> yeah. but of course, of course the brother and sister which in comics villains who are brothers and sister that always to me gives them an extra creepiness yeah yeah for sure but man they get real crazy here they they uh, get the Danette's father and chuck him right out the window like wow Good. I can't believe it he deserves it he's a terrible bigot who got out of court <laughs> well he is he, he's yeah he's, you know you know those those guys you know, those guys you see you know you know, there's so many Irish Americans and you know, they're brilliant, but then you get some who are just obsessed with their, their Irishness. And, you know, it's like 15 generations back and they claim they're Irish and they'll, they'll affect an Irish twang. And, you know, like like in the, in the 80s, I remember Denny O'Neill was writing Daredevil and he was basically mm-hmm. you know, making 
you know, on the on the, in the troubles of Ireland, you know, you know, both sides, you know, want their heads knocking together. But he was just making out the IRA to be heroes. And you know what? Meanwhile, I'm reading that as a kid, and there's people getting getting bombed and murdered all over the place. Yeah. And and he just reminded me of that that, that those kind of characters. You know, it's like oh, the Irish freedom fighters. And it's like just because you're ginger doesn't mean you're Irish. <laughs> yeah, he and he, he makes no bones about it too. He doesn't even try to. Uh, hide it or anything like that. He comes right out and says, you know, that he intentionally stopped, you know, uh, or slowed down production of things because he wanted Russia and England to like, you know, get pounded, get, you know, run right over by Hitler. But then as soon as it was Pearl Harbor, then it was like, oh, well, then I'll, you know, ramp things up and help. And, you know, yeah. that's like really, you know, not, you know, a fan of that. She's just like, what? Like, she's like, you know, can't believe it. I've got, yeah, I've got, I've got no sympathy for the scumbag. And what, what, what's his costume? Is that Confederate or something like that? Or I don't know. Um, you know, I wasn't sure. When I look at his thing there, it looks like something very, it might be like a World War One era uh, type thing, but I'm not sure. I've never seen anything like that. Ah, we need the weird war, weird war tale guys to tell us Max and Rich. Yeah, yes. I've got no sympathy come because he's, he's just a scumbag as well. But I mean, Arvel Jones. Do such a brilliant job of that page in which he's thrown out of the window. I mean, the paragon's face, the position, the positioning, and then the way the way Firebrand just you know flies down across the page to grab him. Just brilliant stuff. Yeah, they got changed awfully quick. Everybody got back into their regular costumes and yeah. Why yeah. I don't know why they're doing that. It just seems weird. Yeah, that was a little strange. I thought you went so far already in the comic with them in opposite costumes. What's the difference if they would have fought that way? You know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. If I'm in a little, I, I, you maybe oh, no. where were you going next? Because I was going to leap leap across to page eighteen, but you might have noticed before that. Well, I did want to say too. We get you know uh, our man. He's popping another one of his pills, which he said he wasn't going to do, and you know initially it doesn't seem to affect him at all adversely. But uh, we will see later on that it does. Yeah, you get yeah yeah, but at this, at this point, I think it makes you know it makes perfect sense to keep one pill for emergencies because he's by keeping a pill for emergency, he saved. Sandra's life when she gets thrown out of the window. Yeah, he grabs her and just barely holding on to her by the ankles, and he's about to get you know smashed pretty bad by uh, night and fog. But then the pill kicks in. True, and that's that's where I wanted to go next because we're on we're in the center of page eighteen, and if you look at the panel in which our man grabs his ankle, look look at the way he's holding her ankle. Look at where her body is. Look at what's next to her body. Oh yeah, like the broken glass there. Yes, that she's going to immediately flop onto the broken glass and get cut up badly. Somehow doesn't. <laughs> yeah, that looks like that would have been pretty nasty. And then I love the next panel, how he's got her by the ankle as he's trying to hold on to her. And there's her cape over her head. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. Funny. It's, that's a, an, an excellent, excellent detail there. So, you know, he, some, he somehow saved the day. But, you know, I don't know, perhaps she had those phantom... phantom uh, facing powers a bit early that we never knew about until the 70s or didn't kick in until the 70s yeah and then he finally does get the pill the, the pill finally does kick in and he starts you know smashing night around or i'm sorry fog but then uh night you know has her powers and she really starts to uh take him down a notch here wow page 20 that is a really great page i love that page it's probably my favorite of the book it's mm. it is and the, the way you got the multiple images of our man to show him falling into, into, into the darkness, it reminded me. Oh, have you seen uh, Jordan Peele's film Get Out? No, I have not. Oh, there's, well, I mean, it's not spoiling anything. But there's one scene there where a character 
you know, gets into the, into the emotional, mental, well, perhaps even physical darkness. And it's not done exactly the same, but it's, this certainly evokes the same feeling. It's powerful, powerful work. Mm, yeah, I just, man, I saw this page, I was like, wow. Other than that splash page when they walk into the party, those that, that one and this one are probably my two favorite, you know, pages of the whole book. I think they're the best. They're really good. They, they, uh, no, they really are. It's just, it's just nice to see Arvel Jones, you know, getting better issue, issue by issue. Yeah, and then I was kind of shocked that, you know, as Danette's father is dying, he actually admits to it. He he actually admits that he worked with the Nazis, then, you know, was helping them. So, because she was just like, no way, I can't believe it. And it's like, yep. So, of course, it's still her dad dying, so she flips out. She really goes crazy. Yeah, I mean, pres- presumably, he's Irish. I think he's supposed to be an Irish Catholic, and this is tantamount to his last confession. Once he gets off his mm. conscience, telling somebody... So that he has a chance of getting into into heaven, or at least at least limbo for a while, purgatory. <laughs> yeah, for real. And then uh, he tries to say to Danette, you know, to to promise him that he'll you know stop them or whatever. And then you know, I guess that's his last gasp. And and then here yeah. we go. Fog finally comes back out of it and starts attacking our man, who was really the last man standing. And then boom, here comes uh, Danette right through the wall, smashes through the wall. She's very, very impressive at this point. And, and I've gone on, on when she's going wi- rather wild on page 22, mm-hmm. in the center of page 22, we've got the dialogue, and she's saying, but I've got total control over any flames in my vicinity. And we all know what heat does to mist, don't we? It burns, murderer. It burns. <laughs> and that, that reminded me of another film moment. Do you know what that reminded me of? Mm-mm. We all know what heat does to mist. Imagine if uh, Halle Berry is storming one of the X-Men movies where she's got that befuddling line with a toad. He's going, we all know what, what, what lightning does to toads. Don't we? <laughs> we don't. And, you know, we, I, didn't, I didn't really know what his heat does to miss, to be honest. It just reminded mm-hmm. me of that. Yeah, yeah, that was, I think this line's way better than that X-Men line. Oh, that was terrible. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> really was. I mean, someone should have said something. But yeah, Danette, man, she we've really never seen her cut loose like this before, you know, and she's just really upset about her father dying and everything. And she just goes, you know, berserk. And we don't really see what happens to Night and Fog. They just kind of, uh, you know, fade off into uh, the night here. Uh, but she does save her friends and yeah. know, they're telling her, like, calm down because she starts to get out of control a little bit. Well, that's 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 facing my theory that that night is connected to the land of the nightshades and she can cross dimensions. And in fact, we did. In fact, wasn't there a mention earlier that the I think our man is positive that perhaps they, they, they just faded in, they faded in onto the scene and appeared on the balcony somehow. So perhaps that's what they did. Yeah, some kind of teleportation or something. But yeah, she yeah. eventually gets the fire under control, though. Has there ever been an explanation, have I forgotten, as to why why Fireman's costume doesn't go up in flames the whole time? Mm, no, I don't think so. I don't think they've ever talked about that. DC unstable molecules or something. <laughs> yeah, she was. She went to see Reed Richards <laughs> yeah. when they're on a parallel Earth. <laughs> Modesty molecules. <laughs> but yeah, she's in pretty rough shape afterwards. And then our man too, he starts to feel the effects of the Miraculo pill, and he hits the floor. And I thought this was going to be worse than it actually was because literally within you know minutes or hours or whatever, you know, you see him back up like everything's fine. Yeah, it's. I suppose. This body was used to the pills to an extent, but it's because he hasn't used it for a while. It hit him hard, but I think I think that's probably an appropriate level of fainting and that he did. 
Yeah, I was like, oh, he was like sweating like crazy. I thought, oh no, is he going to be end up in a hospital or something? But he's okay yeah. soon. I think he was the issue's MVP for me. Oh yeah, he was awesome. I really like his character. I mean, I like all the All Stars, but I like him quite a bit. And yeah. I liked uh, Firebrand in this one too. I think this was really good for her. Yeah, I mean, you remember on on a previous episode when you were good enough to have me, um, I was chatting to yourself and Herman about, you know, our man and you, you know. You're, you're bigger fans than I was much of a fan, but this issue, I'm a big fan. I'm with Rex. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this one was a good spotlight for him and uh, Danette there. This was a this was a good one. Like I said, it's a good one and done issue where you know there's a lot of action. There are some you know humorous moments to it. This is a lot of fun, and you know I'm not surprised because you know there's great creative team behind it here. You know but, you still had Roy editing and all and plotting, right? Yeah, and Paul Kupperberg's a very good dialogue man. Very very mm-hmm. good. What do you think of the ending with, with Danette? What she, what she told the policeman? Oh, yeah, that was kind of weird, too. I thought she was just going to say exactly what went on. But, you know, she basically says that uh, she goes, what does he say? She goes, I know why, Lieutenant. And she says, it's simple. Riley was a steel magnate and our war industries run on steel, armor, bullets, even ball bearings. Ed Riley was one of the men will make it possible for us to beat the access one of these fine days. And it's like, yeah, you're leaving out the part where it doesn't look so good for him, though. Like, and why Night and Fog were there in the first place. You know, she should have told the cops about that. Yeah, I just I just avoided the question. But I mean, perhaps it being kind, perhaps she didn't want to hit the, hit the morale of people who might hear it, Americans who might hear this, by letting it be known that, you know, Americans were collaborating with the Germans. But... Nah, nah. She's just protecting her dad's reputation, isn't she? Yeah, oh, absolutely. That, and probably she's probably a little embarrassed about it too. You know, so I bet I, you that has something I, to do with it. I think so. Do we? Do we think? Have we ever? Do we? Do we think that? Ed, that oh, I've had another one. Do actually no. They weren't on different Earths once. Once everything merged, but I always wondered if, uh, using the theory that everyone's related to one another, that and the similar powers, whether Danette Riley. And Ed Riley and Rod Riley were related to Senator Riley and Lorraine Riley from Earth One. Fire, Firehawk. Mm. Again, good fiery powers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Could, yeah, absolutely. Could, once the Earth merge, we can have that. Shag might tell us. <laughs> yeah, for real. But yeah, Paul like you Cupper- said too, Paul Kupperberg, he's a good scripter. He really is. I think Sean mentioned that earlier uh, in one of the episodes he and I did where he kind of said, you know, he kind of is cut from the same mold as Roy as far as scripting. So I totally agree with that. He's a good one. Absolutely. No, it was, it was really, well, I wouldn't say it changed a bit because we've had, we've had, you know, issues at day in the life, more day in the life type issues with smaller villains previously. But it's an excellent issue. And have I mentioned that I'd like to see the All-Star Squadron series collected as an omnibus? I don't think I've mentioned that, have I? Oh my gosh! Yeah, I don't get it. It just it doesn't make sense to me. I mean, it, what, what could they do? Like two trades, two oversized trades, maybe three tops. Oh, an omnibus. So this is. I think if we mention this every issue, eventually DC might might make it happen. I mean, I'm sure the who's who came out because of the guys at the Five and Water Network, Shag and Rob. So mm-hmm. we shall yeah. see. Yeah, I think to myself, they're putting. They've been putting out omnibus editions like crazy in the last what four or five years. So hey, why not this? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, when, when, when we get things such, you know, such delights, surprise delights as the aforementioned Paul Kupperberg's Doom Patrol omnibus, it's like, right, I want my All-Star Squadron even more. It'll go well yeah. together. Good good period for comics. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, this 
the all-star squadron is so well loved and well liked and well revered it just blows my mind that it hasn't been other than that what the showcase do like the first 20 issues maybe or something that was yeah. it uh, yes it's it's not enough but no it's, i mean this was an excellent issue thanks for having me to chat about it really enjoyed it yeah this was a really good one i enjoyed it quite a bit too and then like i said uh you know we have uh Secret Origins number one. So, you know, I, I knew you would uh, definitely be uh, uh, up for a Superman chat. So uh, what do you got for this one here? Well, I've, I've, I've got the usual dollop of irony because, as you know, my, my day job, I work as well, American could say, a copy editor, a production, production editor, a sub-editor here, where, you know, I, I chop copy, I rewrite copy, and I'm actually, I actually am pretty good at chopping other people's copy and summarising. And then when you ask me to summarise anything on this show, I just whittle on and on and on. So I've written, I've written a little bit more than you wrote for Star Squadron, but bear in mind, this is a script by Roy Thomas. I originally went in thinking, you know, oh yeah, Superman's origin. Originally one page, then went to about eight pages. This will be short, but of course, it's a 24-page Roy Thomas book, so <laughs> I'll try and rattle through it, because I enjoyed it a lot, but Let's see how we go. But mm -hmm. Yeah, so Secret Origins number one cover. And the cover shows the same scene as Action Comics 1 with Superman terrifying thugs by lifting their automobile off the ground. And looking back on the moment from the future are an older Superman, along with the Justice Society of America pals, Wonder Woman, the Spectre, the Flash, Dr. Fate and the Huntress. What did you make of the cover? Oh, I like this one quite a bit. And I can tell you right now, even if I wasn't a Superman fan per se, if I saw this cover, I would buy this comic book because this cover is so good. I love the yellow, you know, light emanating from this uh, globe and shining off of their faces, but it's all black background. I love this cover. This is an excellent cover. It is it's just a, a Jerry Ordway classic. And the, the fact that they're looking into, into the crystal ball, the viewing via the crystal ball, which the, where both the Justice League and the Justice Society and their first team have watched each other via crystal balls communicated. That was a nice throwback. And mm -hmm. the expression on Superman's face, the sheepish smile, <laughs> the embarrassed young hero he was, I think. It's an, ex an excellent scene set for an excellent issue. Oh, yeah, I love it. Like I said, I this is one that if I was, you know, not really even into Superman, I would see this cover and I'd like I'd have to buy this issue just because I everything about it is perfect. And that lighting to me really is what makes the cover for sure. Yeah, I wonder whether, whether Joey did his own colors on that one or whether it was. You know, someone like Gene D'Angelo who colours the insides, or someone else from the production department, because obviously they had they had production colourers who didn't do the insides and they knew what they were doing. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it was Jerry, but like you said, I wouldn't, I wouldn't. be surprised if it was someone else either. Yeah, because I mean, because Jerry Jerry's a painter as well; he really understands his colour. Yep, yep, yeah. He's he's a really good artist. Yeah, perhaps he'll tell us. Who who knows? Mm -hmm. Myself, yeah, it's by Roy Thomas, writer editor. Drawn by Wayne Boring, who was, of course, the fantastic Golden and Silver Age illustrator mm -hmm. of Superman. And Jerry Ordway does the inks. Jerry Ordway, who was then was up-and-coming Tyro and artist on All-Star Squadron and Infinity Inc. Gene D'Angelo, colorist. David Cody Weiss, lettering. And it's based on the original classic stories by Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster in Action Comics 1, 1938, and elsewhere. And the elsewhere, a big part of the elsewhere is Superman number one from 1939. Mm -hmm. In the story, we open with acknowledgement that the crisis on Infinite Earths has happened and that the first Superman has gone forever, forgotten by most everyone. But the heck with that, the omniscient narrator tells us we're telling him his story, we're telling his story anyway. The narrator turns out to be the Encyclopedia Galactica 
and it starts by giving us stats on Krypton's place in the universe and the information that Kryptonians have natural strength and bounding abilities. And who should we meet bounding across the page but scientist Joel, and that's Joel, just an L, letter L, back from a meeting with the Science Council of Krypton. His wife, Lara, who's holding a cute baby boy with signature blue hair, can see that he's not happy. Joe holds his robustious son, but a land quake forces the family to flee Kryptonopolis for their other home, which should be safer. The leap across the city, Joe suggesting that this quake marks the end of the world, as if the uranium core explodes and sets off a chain reaction. It turns out the other resident has a fully equipped lab, complete with a prototype space flyer. The idea was that if it worked, Joe could build a fleet and send Krypton's population to Sol 3, which supports life. Now, unfortunately, there's no time. It can save just one person, their child. The rocket soars into space as the planet dies, but Joe and Laura at least have some hope that their legacy will continue on Sol 3, aka Earth. After a few days, the spacecraft lands there in front of an elderly couple, John and Mary Kent. They take him to the orphan asylum, where he is stand-stacked with his feats of strength. When the Kents return a few days later to ask if they can adopt the child, the knackered nurses are only too happy to agree. Over time, Clark grows and discovers that he can lift tremendous weights, run faster than a streamlined train, and nothing less than a bursting shell can penetrate the skin. In time, his parents die and Clark moves to the city of Metropolis, where his attempts to nap a job at the Daily Star as a reporter are rebuffed by the editor, George Taylor, due to the small matter of his having neither reporting experience nor qualifications. Undeterred, Clark finds Lally, removes his outer garments and reveals a colourful costume. He leaps into the air to find some stories that might help him win a job, arguing that being in a position to hear news dispatches will put him in a position to help people. As he leaves the ground, he cries, up, up and away. Eavesdropping outside George Taylor's window, Clark hears that a lynch mob has gathered at the local jail. He leaps across the city in a costume made from his Kryptonian swaddling clothes. At the county jail, the hero stops a gang of crazed citizens hanging a man named Sims, even as he denies killing one Jack Kennedy. A fight breaks out, but Superman soon subdues the mob and frees Sims before he's died. And he explains that he's being held for the killing of Labour leader Jack Kennedy, but he didn't do it, and neither did the woman about to be electrocuted for the murder, Evelyn Curry. Sims says that she was framed by nightclub singer B. Carroll. Stopping only to call George Taylor with what he knows so far, and managed to get himself a job, Clark finds B. Carroll singing in a local nightclub. He confronts her in her dressing room. She pulls a gun, but is freaked out when he crushes the weapon and threatens to crush her lift wrists too. B. crumbles and writes out a confession, admitting that she killed Kennedy in a lover's tiff. Superman grabs B and zooms through the night, knowing that Evelyn is about to be electrocuted in half an hour. Dumping the hapless bee on the lawn of the governor's mansion, Superman breaks in and forces his way past the governor's terrified manservant. It turns out the governor sleeps behind a steel door, but the hero tears that down and the butler pulls a gun. Of course, it's useless and Superman gets to talk to the governor. Convinced by our hero, the governor calls off the execution. Next year, George Taylor assigns Clark to find out as much as he can about Superman. That's what people are calling the stranger due to the big S on his chest. In the outer office, Clark asks a sob sister, Lois Lane, out on a date that night, and she agrees, but sarcastically. In passing, Lois and Clark talk about Superman having apprehended a wife-beater that afternoon. At the dance, a hoodlum cooks in on Clark and Lois. She refuses to dance with him, despite Clark saying, just have one dance, then they can leave. Don't have trouble, Lois. She slaps the guy, Butch, angering him and storms off to get a taxi, berating Clark for his cowardice. Seeing the thugs run towards the car, he realises that Lois may soon need Superman. 
Butcher and his pals force Lois's taxi into a ditch and kidnap her, leaving the driver behind. But Superman appears on the road in front of them and won't move out of the way, freaking them out. He leaps over the car and starts chasing them from behind, making them even more scared. They put the foot down on the pedal, but Superman soon has the car in his grasp and shakes the bad men out of it. He gently helps Lois to the ground and tells her to run away, and then crushes the car. Superman hangs Butcher on an electricity pole and muses that the likes of cheap thugs and wife beaters aren't worthy of his time. He then assures Lois that he won't hurt her. He does, though, advise Lois not to write about this little episode. She agrees, and next morning is telling George Taylor all about it. He doesn't believe her. Clark begs Lois to forgive him for the previous evening. He's just not very physical. She says she wasn't thinking about him anyway. She's thinking about someone else. Lois is out to get the first interview with Superman. He thinks about how the next few years are going to be very interesting. The story closes with the Encyclopedia Galactica entry telling us that Superman and Lois eventually married in the 1950s and that while his reality is gone, as long as men thrill to daring deeds and dream of adventure, the first Superman will be remembered. The end. Mm, wow, that was awesome, Mark. Thank you. So I have a confession to make. I have read uh, Superman's origin in action comics before um, in a library edition of... Uh, DC's uh, origins. I think it was was that came out in the 1970s, maybe when DC had those origins books and showed them. 70s, yes, yeah, certainly did. Yeah. yeah, they were collected, and I read that, but I never read uh, Superman number one. So some of the material in here was brand new to me. So um, this was really great. I really enjoyed this one quite a bit, and I know I can just tell, you know, from the writing you know, how much, you know, passion and love Roy has for the golden age. Even you could tell already with what he had written, you know, in all-star squadron and interviews he's done and stuff like that. But you can really feel it coming through here. You know, couldn't you? Absolutely. It's just, it's just every, every panel that loves in there. And he, even though you have lots of little bits of Royisms where he's, he's, you know, he's explaining things in dialogue or in captions or that, you know, that perhaps modern readers might, you know, go who about it's, just it's just wonderful it's just fantastic to have such a classic story expanded in Roy's inimitable fashion mm, yeah and then in the back of the book too he did uh, there was a, a two-page uh, little uh, article he wrote the secret origin of secret origins and it's by Roy Thomas and I read that and loved every minute of it because it was basically him talking about you know how eventually he knew with all-star squadron and the DC universe with crisis things were coming to an end but he wanted to somehow still write about Golden Age characters, and this book was basically a way for him to do that. So I don't know if you got a chance to read that or not, but it was great. I skimmed it again because you know busy weekend. I tell you, but I did skim it. But yeah, it was. It was. I mean, I always love Roy's Roy's extra material at the back. I mean, I, I love I love reading the letters from the readers. But when, whenever you get a few paragraphs of Roy giving us the behind the scenes, I'm a very happy buddy. Mm, yeah, it was great. It really, it's very heartwarming because. You know, you know, like I said, he still wanted to write about these characters he loved so much. And it's not like he didn't want to do other things, too, because he did other things, you know, uh, post, you know, crisis. But he still really had a passion for writing about these Golden Age characters, whether it was, you know, new stories or retreads of old stories, whatever. He really that was his passion uh, in life, especially at this time. He certainly did. I mean, on, just even on on that splash page, the opening page one, you, mm. you how sad Roy is in the, in the person of the Encyclopedia Galactic from, from the Legion of Superheroes, how sad he is about the original Superman having been filed away. Yeah, and the, man, what a splash page too. Wayne Boring and Jerry Ordway. Oh my gosh, that is incredible. 
It is. I mean, you've got the Statue of Man of Steel, the classic rocket ship scene, the Daily Star building with that superb moving sign going around the skyscraper and all that going beep, 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 beep. Just sets the mood marvellously. Really, really lovely. Yeah, you have Krypton back there in the background exploding. Oh, wow. It's Yeah, that's an incredible page. But that that next page, too, where it's, you know, the top third is the secret origin of the Golden Age Superman. And it gives all the credits and things like that and says about Encyclopedia Galactica and all that. Oh, that looks really cool, too, with the planets floating there. I love that. Oh, it's, it's, mm. it's, just, it's just wonderful work. You're, you're straight back in the, silver, well, in the Golden Age. Mm, yeah, and then another page, too, for me, when uh, on page 10 where uh, – Clark goes to the uh, club to see that uh, B. Carroll. I love that panel on page 10 there to the right in the middle where he's watching her on stage. And, you know, the stage has the spotlight on it and everything else is in the dark. And there's uh, Clark sitting there and he's got a glass of wine and there's other people in the audience there. I don't know. That panel really stands out to me. I really like that one. I mean, that, that is just straight up 1950s classic Wayne Boring. And in, in, in the previous panel where you've got the waiter, the waiter with the nose and the yeah that's great stuff i'm trying to think of two of other panels in here but the scene where he busts into the governor's mansion to behind a steel door i'm thinking what is going on that's crazy well that's in the original stories isn't it so it's madness (laughs) yeah that's that's really wild i'm surprised that roy didn't roy didn't sort of you know gloss gloss over that and just have superman go through a great a great door yeah it's bonkers, but it's I, I I love little details like when when the land quake comes on Krypton and Joel is getting all protective. Then Laura points out that you know she can batter away the falling debris just as well as he can. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good call there on that one. That's really cool. And then they go flying away together with the it's baby. Really, yeah, and you've got and you've got Laura in a full body suit. I think that's the first time she's ever been seen not in not in a little yellow mini skirt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's got a cape and everything there. Yeah, serious actress, serious dear. And, but Jean D'Angelo, you know, and she was the yellows are in the classic colours, yellow for her, green for him. So immediately recognisable, even if you didn't see the heads. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And then I'll never forget to page seven, the very bottom corner, bottom right corner panel. I, I remember it like it was yesterday. Again, reading the uh, Origins book at the library. Oh, the yeah. doctor, the doctor's trying to give Clark a shot and the needle keeps breaking. I can remember that. I can picture that panel in my head like I just saw it yesterday. That it is. That's a, a, a total, total classic. I mean, they're really, the guys, you know, Wayne and Jeremy are really paying attention to the art. And little, I mean, actually, I'm, just to go back a little, a little further back to Krypton, I can't, I can't leave Krypton behind. After they've been leaping and bounding across the city and they get to the lab, you probably have noticed that uh, Joel's tunic is is open, you know, it's, it's bust open or he's he's opened it himself like a you know, modern guy taking his tie off. And it's just little little clever details like that. Wonderful stuff. Yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness, yeah. Like and then when the baby takes off in the rocket ship too, it's I don't want to say it's simplistic when it shows the rocket going through space, but I love that panel. I just the panel that shows the rocket ship going through space. It's just like I don't know. I really, really like that one a lot too. Oh yeah, I mean, I w- I've got no desire to see an, up- an updated version of the rocket at this point. It's a, it's a version of the origin as it was, I think, as it was first in Superman fifty or something like that in the late, mid mid to late forties. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's how the rocket looked for decades, dec- right, right, right through to the Bronze Age, right through to the late seventies. That's how the rocket looked basically, and that that's my Superman rocket. I'm happy with that. 
Yeah, it's just incredible. This whole issue, I mean, even the panels too, I enjoyed where, uh, you know, Clark after, you know, Lois gets uh, kidnapped there. I enjoy always when I see a lot of these artists drawing older cars from that era and that car they draw with the, you know, the hoodlums in it. Oh my yeah. gosh, that looks incredible. I love the detail on it. It does. And what, and what about the, even further back in when we did, when we, when the, the rocket lands to earth without inertia, I didn't understand what that was all about, but when the rocket lands on earth in front of John and Mary and that chalice of theirs, it looks wonderful. Like, yeah. Or what, but it's just excellent stuff. Yeah, and then when he's a boy on the next page and he just picks that car right up too, that's look at the detail on that car as well and the underneath of it. Oh, yeah, it's incredible. The, the clothing with plus floor, the plus floor. I don't know whether in America you call them plus floor trousers, the trousers that are sort of tucked into the knee socks. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, wow. Yeah, it's just every page in this book, if not the entire page, at least a few of the panels, every one of them made me stop and really look at all the detail in the page or the panels that just stuck out to me. And not a lot of comics do that for me. You know, some of them, I just read through the dialogue and what's in the backgrounds or whatever. doesn't really catch my eye as much, but this one really did. And I mean, it did a lot. And I was like, was, oh, enthralled with it. And then similarly, I was stopping every now and then just to admire Roy's dialogue and the, and the cleverness of that. You know, I like the fact that he mentions, you know, he did, Every Superman origin I've ever read in Supergirl origin back then, it was always an orphanage. But, you know, Roy used the term that was current at the time in the, in the teens and 20s, an orphan asylum, which makes it sound so much scarier, which I like. That was good research. And Yeah. It's, it's just really wonderful. Did you notice that who who was cameoing when Clark moved to Metropolis and he's, he's a newspaper boy? Oh, uh, in the beginning there, when he first got yeah. there? Yeah, when first when he gets to Metropolis at the subway. Oh yeah, it looks like uh, Billy Batson there. <laughs> Billy Batson probably about to go and have bone origin down in the subway tunnel. <laughs> well, I think I read in that piece in the back. Didn't Roy say wasn't that Secret Origins number three? Wasn't it Shazam they did? It was. Yeah, as I said, I haven't read read the origin the, the back material this weekend. So I, read mm. I think yeah, I think that's what he, he said. Just, that he just turned up in number three. Yeah, because I, I went I went and looked at the next few issues to see if the Encyclopedia Galactica gimmick continued, but it was basically abandoned after issue one, which is probably a decent idea. Yeah, I need to get in gear with buying more of these Secret Origins issues. I think I only have about fifteen, maybe twenty of them tops. And I think it went for what forty five, fifty issues or something <laughs> like that. Fifty was the last issue, the giant giant size issue. I think there might have been a special, but yeah, it's it's one that would get every issue and then listen to Ryan's podcast. Yeah, oh, that was yeah his his uh, secret origins, and then what was the other one he did that was like a lot of Zatanna and Huntress or something? Like fish, that. Uh, yeah, yeah, flowers and fishnets. Yeah, that was good too. And then of course, you know me being a humongous horror fan too. Midnight the podcasting hour. Oh, oh I, know, I miss that. it. Uh, miss it tremendously. Yeah. Have you ever come across previously the explanation that Roy gives for up, up and away? No, I have not. Have you? I didn't. I never knew. No. If anyone hasn't read the comic, Roy mentions that it helps Clark focus on rising skywards, which makes some kind of sense. I mean, I think it's totally unnecessary. It's it's a cry, but you know, Roy likes to explain things, so it makes some kind of sense. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Roy loves details, you know, in the script, in the story, even, you know, uh, if talking to an artist about how he wants something to look or whatever. Yeah, he that's one of the reasons I love Roy. He's I, all about details. 
he's all about the details, and that's what surprised me. In that, we have the guy Sims in prison to do mm. with the murder is Jack Kennedy, her funny name, cat Jack Kennedy. But uh, it's never explained why he's in prison when Evelyn Curry's was framed by B. Carroll. It's like, what's it got to do with him? Because that's exactly how it was in like, Superman Comics number one. He's just, you know, he's he's about to get, he's getting, he's getting lynched. He mentions that, you know. He's been, he's, you know, he's in prison for that and that she's been framed, she's going to die. But the, I, I would have thought Roy would connect the dots on that somehow. That is a hole in the screen he could have done something with. Yeah, he did leave that one thing there a little ambiguous for sure. I don't know if that was something he thought maybe he could touch on later in something else or he just thought, eh, let's just get the story going in the direction it needs to be because it was already, what, a 25-page story or something like that. It was already pretty long. He, and he did, he did cut out all the... All the other business from the end of Action, Action Comics number one and Superman number one, where Superman gets involved involved with a a, a war in South America. In fact, it was continued yeah. on into Action Two, but it was all over Action Action Comics number one. Another yeah. thing, yeah. Another thing. I mean, I think it's, it's been spoke spoke about before about how uh, Wayne Boring drew Superman in this issue with the classic Superman symbol that he'd always drawn it with and. Jerry was asked to, or, went, or just took it upon himself, understandably, to make the sim, take the symbol back to an earlier version of the symbol. But that being the case, I don't understand why they didn't do the symbol as it was in Action Comics number one and Superman number one, where it wasn't a sheet, it wasn't a diamond, it wasn't a shield, it was just a straightforward triangle. Yeah, yeah, that is interesting. I wonder if that was just Jerry's choice, or if Roy wanted it that way. You wonder who. You know who had the final say on that, or if that was just they left it up to Jerry, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it could be that it was so sketchy in those first, those those first stories that. Yeah. Maybe, maybe Roy, Roy and or Jerry were thinking if it had been focused on properly, that's how it looked. Yeah, and you like you said back then, things were so touch and go and so changing from one minute to the next because it was, you know, everything was just so brand new and getting going. Who knows, too? It was, you know, things would change within a few issues of each other. But, man, that last page, too, where he's, you know, flying away with Lois and the airplane in the back and she's in her wedding gown. Wow, that's a really great part oh, yeah. there, too. I think that's a direct reference to that issue of Action Comics in the yeah. 80s, 70s, in which they got married. It's really, really nice. But back back on the Roy, on, on the Roy tweak, tweaking things front, mm-hmm. uh, in, in Superman number one, I think it's Action Comics number one, where he, he grabs B by the wrist and uh, you know, I could well believe that he was going to build, break, you know, break, willing to break a wrist. But here, Roy says that he'd crush B's wrist, and that it was a bluff. Superman was bluffing; he wouldn't have gone through with it. I mean, I would, I would, I'm, I'm actually totally okay with the early Superman being a bit of a ruffian, a rough diamond. Well, when he's dealing with people that are trying to get other people killed, yeah, go ahead. That's he's got yeah. my approval. <laughs> Absolutely, I don't care whether you hurt B. She's a scumbag. Mm-hmm. She was trying to get somebody else, you know, the electric chair there. Yeah, another artistic change, a little tweak, was uh, the governor, the governor's butler. In the original, you'll have, you'll have noticed he's wear, he's wearing what looks like a, a, a like an old lady's little granny hat to bed. <laughs> this version, it's a wee willy winky hat. I mean, it could be that in Action One and Superman One, it was a wee willy winky hat, but he, he was never at the right angle to see the dangly bit. But I think that was a, a good little tweak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was funny. And then, like you said, the guy pulls the gun on Superman too. And Superman. I think that is the same dialogue, isn't it? Where he says, "Put that toy away." Uh, it. I think it is in the, in the 
in, in the action comics number one and Superman number one, but Roy, is that is that when Roy in, in Secret Origin says, more guns, does everybody in this country own one? Yeah, and that, you know what, I think I think Action Comics 1 might be on the DC app. I'll have to check when we're done here, because if it is, I'll have to go back and read that one, because like I said, I don't think I ever read that one before. Maybe just bits and pieces. Yeah, yeah, because it, it's, it's so much shorter in Action Comics number one. In Action, Superman number one, the version of Superman number one combines the stories from Action number one and Action number two, so and, you, and adds in detail along the way, and cleans, cleans up the art. I think some... I think some panels are really drawn, other panels are just cleaned up, but it's definitely worth going in and you know comparing and contrast. Yeah, I like when he's fighting with the governor and his henchmen there. Uh, they show the little clock in the corner of some of those panels that's ticking away that that person's going to die if they don't hurry up. That was wonderful because it, it's it's so of its time, really fantastic stuff, and it's nice that Roy kept that. Yeah, ten minutes to go, then five minutes to go, and then finally with you know less than five minutes to go the. Governor gets on the phone really quick to yeah. you know, stay stay the execution. Yeah, I, I thought it was cute in, in the original. You know, Superman's got the confession from B, and uh, you know then we can assume that she's going to the gallows or the or the Eric trail or whatever. But in Roy in Roy's version, you know he has Superman noting that oh B B then later confessed properly to the police, and that's good because the one he elicited under force wouldn't have stood up in court. It's like yeah, it's fun. You, you don't really need it, but it. That's Roy being Roy, and I just wouldn't have him any other way. No, no, not at all. Yeah, to me, that's <laughs> I wouldn't change one thing about any uh, anything I've seen, you know, seen or read or heard about Roy. I enjoy uh, everything the way he's done it. He's, he's just such a gentleman, and, and it was fun when he had that added dialogue where I think it's George Taylor's talking to Clark Kent, and he says, "There's this new guy, Superman," and Clark going. Do you mean the way people talk about Nietzsche's Superman? It's like because obviously that wasn't in the original comics, but that was quite quite cute. Yeah, yeah. Roy did a good job here of you know staying true to the original you know stories, but also adding in a few things too to like update it a little bit. I think that they did great. Absolutely, because if you if you're not going to tweak and add, you know, explain, put in your little details, a bit of light and shade or whatever, why bother doing? You might as well just reprint the original. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then, man, I, again, uh, that panel where it shows him smashing the car against the rock, you know, with the hoodlums there, like aghast watching him do it. I could look at that panel and that page all day long. That's just uh, so incredible. Recreation of, of Action Comics number one cover. I'm, I'm just so pleased that Roy went and got, got Wayne Boring for this job. Yeah, that's great. To me, that was that was huge. I mean, obviously, they had a lot of good artists at the time, but to go and get, you know, one of the the original kind of, you know, old school guys that had been around for a long time and did so much for the character in DC yeah, Comics. Shows real, it shows real respect, but it also serves the story. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. that, I mean that, that pit on the corner on page four, where Joel and Laura are, are, are bounding, leaping and bounding. I mean, that's, that could come from the 1950s. That, that's just the exact type of pauses. And it's wonderful. Although, I, I, slightly different, a, a different angle on things. When Superman's there, Flying, flying, uh, jumping through Metropolis for like the first time in costume on, on page page eight, bottom of page eight, where he's actually he's actually running as if he's running on a track field. And then <laughs> doing like that, I really absolutely love it, you know, because because at some point when you're leaping and bounding, you will be in that pose. Yeah, yeah. If you catch it right at like the apex of the jump, yeah, you will look like that. The little line he has under his foot is kind of curved a little bit too to let you know that's he's kind of heading downward. Yeah, yeah. No, I think we're so lucky to have had one last job from Wayne Bowling there. Mm, oh, that's but great. 
Yeah, and obviously Jeremy Jeremy just hugely respected him and brought his own touch to it as well without without sort of you know wiping him out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, this there's you can't even to me if you read this issue, you know, especially if you're a fan of older stuff and you know Earth Two and JSA and just Superman in general, you're just gonna gush over this issue. You're gonna love it. There's really nothing you can say. Oh well, I didn't really care for that. It's really a perfect comic book. Absolutely. I mean, did 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 you have any any particular favorite scene from an artistic point of view? Was it apart from the car? Oh well, like I said, that one where Superman goes to the club. I, I love that. That might be my favorite panel of the book on uh, page ten there when he goes to the club to see uh, B uh, doing her act, and uh, you know she's on the spotlight there, and he's in the crowd watching her, and it's all dark with the shadows and stuff. That's oh, I love, absolutely love that panel. Yeah, I I, I would I, I actually love the whole sequence, the whole couple of pages because the acting on B's face it's just wonderful. And you know when he picks her up at the bottom of page eleven, you know the way her hair's you know rising upwards into the air, the the, the way the dress, the move, the sense of movement, it's just it's wonderful. Really, I wish I wish we I mean, maybe he was you know too old and didn't didn't really want to do more work, but I wish he'd done done some more work for DC after this. I don't I don't think he did, but I would have just loved it so much. Yeah, even if he could have just done, you know, some specials here and there, not even a monthly, just once or twice a year, do something like this. That would have been great. Yeah, because I think we had the odd, the odd boring piece in, in in the Who's Who book, but I could just look at uh, look at this all the time. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, all right. So, any more thoughts on either of the books, Marta? Not at all. No, just two two excellent books. You know, one one golden age story totally from a modern perspective that was all that was basically all new and a retelling of an original story you know pulling in different details that have appeared down the years but melding it into something really really special and giving us absolutely marvelous marvelous cover on top of that it was just excellent i, I just i noticed one more thing on the cover actually that we have to we have two sets of signatures on the cover there mm-hmm one of them, we have Boring and Ordway in the crystal ball and Joey Ordway on the outside. So I hadn't realised that Joey Ordway hadn't done the whole cover, but probably Wayne Boring had done the pencils for the interior section of the crystal ball. So that's very clever. Yeah, I almost think in that back page, back two pages, Roy said that they took that actual page there in the, in the book where uh, Wayne Boring and Ordway did that scene in the book and just put it on there or something like that uh, change the colors maybe and that's about it yeah that's, oh yeah so i'm just checking the angle, i'm checking the angle of his hands and we're checking the angle of his hands there check that yeah same one yeah pretty close it's, yeah so it's just a little like when, when i was on the show a couple about about a month ago where there was a an all-star squadron cover and while you're taking part of the cover from the previous issue and they'd work that into into that cover i like that sort of thing it's, yeah it's, it, it honestly is a wonderful piece of art i mean there was no reason to draw that again because that's totally what you have inside and it's a brilliant piece and then you know the icing on the cake is the gsa is looking around there you know mm, yeah great stuff and then oh i did forget to mention too there's a pinup in the back there after the very last page that superman by siegel and schuster yeah. I did forget to mention that. That's really good, too. Yeah, yeah. I, I just never brought it up because I was just doing the story itself, but it's it's great It's great to have them in there. And it's actually, it's just fascinating because that note at the top where it says, you know, 
Roy writes, here's Wayne Boring's reading of who did what on this vintage unpublished page below. Quotes, Josh just delayed out this frontispiece, clue, face on upper right panel. Paul Cassidy worked over the prelim sketches. John, well, it says John Dickhaler, John Sickhaler, drew and inked Super's, Super's head, heads. Eddie Brodka inked the whole thing. Lee Nowak did the line work inside the figure outlines. Joe called this slicking. I mean, wow, there's a workshop. And you look at it, and, and to my, to the modern eyes, it's quite simplistic. You think one guy could easily have done that, but no, it took, it took four or five guys to turn it out. And just so impressive, not just from a memory point of view, but that Wayne Boring knew the talents of his colleagues so well, because I think he joined the Schuster shop late in the day, and then was taken on as a staffer by Mort Weisinger, I think. That's fair to say. And it's just so impressive to, hear, to see all these other guys get a mention. Yeah, that was really cool. It it at least gave a credit to all those guys too, because you know how it is. A lot of the uh, creators from that era, you know, yeah. some of them that were a little more behind the scenes or just not as famous, they've kind of fallen off the the path, you know. And I like when they get credit. That's really cool. Yeah, I'm just amazed at that, that typo with John Dickaler rather than. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Really I mean, I'm an amateur. Yeah. What is that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was gonna say, uh, <clears throat> who was editing this book? <laughs> Roy. Ah, <laughs> oh, well, it's just thank, thank you for the bonus, Roy. No, Roy. <laughs> Roy, for a wonderful, wonderful issue. But yeah, it's crazy. And, I love it. Yeah. I hadn't oh. gotten that issue out in quite a long time until, you know, you and I were talking and saying about maybe, you know, any of these single issue stories, uh, you know, trying to find another issue that's uh, Earth 2 related and maybe putting it on here. And I thought, oh, yeah, wait a minute. Let me get those secret origins out. And, of course, this is issue number one, so it was right at the front of the pile. And I thought, oh, maybe this one and another one. And right away, you were like, oh, yeah, Superman, let's do it. <laughs> yes, no, yes, please. And any day, because I, I really, you know, I really get to talk about Superman on podcasts. So it's just such a nice change. Mm, that's cool. Well, that's good to know. I'll keep that in the back of my brain. Maybe we could talk about Superman on another show. We'll have to, I'll have to keep that in the back of my head. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. And then I did uh, forget the last few weeks to do. Um, feedback and I completely forgot, but I wrote myself a note this time. So I would not forget, you know, and I especially wanted to go over uh, right before Christmas, right after Christmas. And then now early in uh, February here, uh, there were three new iTunes reviews. So I definitely wanted to go over those. Um, and this one's from December 19th and it's uh, from Josh from East Windsor. And it says, I love, love, love this show covering one of my favorite series of all times. I really like the Earth Prime archives. I make a point to read along. The show is a drop everything and listen when it shows in my queue. So thank you, Josh. Appreciate that. You know, uh, it's uh, we're having a good time here, and I'm glad to hear everybody else is that listens in as well, too. So it's always good to get a good review. <laughs> mm -hmm. Feed, feedback's always so good to hear. And I think probably the reason you're having me on the show occasionally is so that I don't write those incredibly long feedback. <laughs> no, no. I love getting emails, no matter if they're uh, short or long. Either way, I love it. feedback, whether it's email, iTunes reviews, or even, you know, we've got a lot of good people that reach out to us on Twitter when we uh, post an image or anything like that. I'm uh, compiling a list of, you know, all the followers of the All-Star Squadron account and uh, trying to uh, give them all their due and I'm not sure if I'm going to do that at the end of one episode, maybe if there's a shorter one, but that's coming up too. But uh, uh, stay tuned for that. But yeah, second one here. This one was December 26th. 
And uh, Flounders88 is the name. And it says, this podcast covering All-Star Squadron with hosts who love the material and its shows. Their passion is contagious and reminds me of why I love comics. Great job, guys. I will always be looking forward to the next show. So, again, another good one. You love hearing stuff like that because, you know, this show it has been so much fun for me and Herm starting it out. And then now you and Sean coming in here, Mark. It's just, you know, this series and getting to talk about it is just a joy. Well, it is. It's, it's, it's a real pleasure. And those, those iTunes reviews, you know, they, they, don't, they might not take a long time to write, but thoughts put into them. And it really does help the shows get found. And it's, it's, nice, it's nice to hear that people are enjoying. And it's nice that, you know, more people might hear your show because of it. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, I, I try to always, you know, get the word out about, you know, shows like this and shows I like and that I think are good and stuff like that. But like you said, yeah, if somebody just goes to iTunes and does a search, you know, the more reviews and ratings you get, you know, good, good, positive ones that kind of uh, pushes you to the, the front of the pack for uh, searches and stuff like that. So, yeah, the reviews are great. So anybody yep. out there that wants to do a review, go ahead, please. We would appreciate it. Absolutely, and even even on on the Gmail address, even just a, a couple of a couple of lines from people. If you know, if, any, if people want to correct us on anything we've got wrong, or just as the patients, yeah. or just you know, just say that whether they enjoyed the issue, just it's just wonderful. What's that Gmail address again? Yeah, so if you want to do uh, an, an email, you can do a, a World on Fire podcast at gmail dot com, and yeah, you can yeah, like Mark said, if it's constructive criticism, something we missed or messed up, or just Hey, great job, guys! Enjoying the show. That it, that's it. Doesn't have to be anything uh, super eloquent or you know paragraphs long. Or like you said, if it is even few paragraphs long, we love hearing that too. We'll probably just be a little more succinct when we go over it. But you know, uh, we love it. Yeah, bring it on. Love, love the feedback. And then uh, there's one, one, one more here from February 9th. This is Zombie Mesa Six, and it says just started this podcast and have gone through the first four. I always enjoy the conversation that come from the books we have a love for. As any good podcast, I'm liking the chemistry between the hosts. I love, I also love the added real life history lessons to understand the context of the era and that it's all taking place. Looking forward to hearing the rest. So thank you one and all for those uh, iTunes reviews. Love them. It's good of people. Very, very kind. Yeah, absolutely. I know I appreciate it and you do as well. And Sean too, that we're going to, you know, keeping going here, and we're really looking forward to you know finishing this guy off. We've got uh, oh, about twenty four more issues, twenty five more issues to go, maybe. And then, like I said, we're going to try to sprinkle in either you know Secret Origins or another issue of something here or there, you know, to kind of even out the episode so we're not doing three at a shot and then just one or anything like that. We'll try to keep them even with you know a couple issues on each episode, and uh, you know, go from there. Absolutely, and I've I've bought all the issues, all the issues of finally of Young All Stars, which I've never read. So, if at any point in the future you're doing a Young All Stars episode, or sorry, podcast, I'll be able to follow along. Awesome, awesome, love to hear it, buddy. So, all right, well, that's going to do it for this week. Um, so, Mart, if anybody's looking for you out there, where can they find you? They can find me on Twitter at at Mart Gray M A R T G R A Y. And you can also find my blog, Too Dangerous for a Girl, just by Googling it. And if anyone wants to pop by, say hello. Thank you very much. Yep. And you can find the show at All Squadron on Twitter as well. So, yeah, anything, again, feedback, you can send it there in a DM or just in a, a mention to on uh, yeah, anything we put out there. You know, anything that's on that account and you want to send it about any past episodes or this one. 
uh, be uh, lovely to uh, get some feedback from anybody and some uh, interaction out there. So, okay. So thanks again, Mart. And uh, we're going to head on out of here and uh, see you back again in two weeks. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye now.